Our scripture today comes to us from Exodus 20 and Amos chapter 5. You shall not steal. The one who made the Pleiades and Orion and turns deep darkness into the morning and darkens the day into night, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the surface of the earth, the Lord is his name, who makes destruction flash out against the strong so that destruction comes upon the fortress. They hate the one who reproves in the gate and they abhor the one who speaks the truth. Therefore, because you trample on the poor and take from them levies of grain, you have built houses of hewn stone, but you shall not live in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink their wine, for I know how many are your transgressions and how great are your sins. You who afflict the righteous, who take a bribe and push aside the needy in the gate. Therefore, the prudent will keep silent in such a time, for it is an evil time. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Andrew. And I want to add my thanks to Andrew's thanks to our musicians today. And it's so good to have the swinging, singing seniors back with us and it's good to have them around on Tuesday morning when they practice. I'm trying to make sure my office door is open so I can hear them and uh, great music and great spirit in that group and it's good. It's good to be back. Good to have you all back. The Eighth Commandment. It's been several years ago now. I really, I could stop and count but I don't like to do it because it's been a long time ago. Dennis and Lamar and I, three best friends in high school, were headed for an overnight camping trip in the North Georgia mountains. The sun had yet to put in an appearance and all indications were that it was going to be a very, very cold, bitterly cold day. We'd be stopping for breakfast soon and then heading on up to Blood Mountain. And our transportation, I won't forget, was Lamar's family's 1960 blue and white Chevrolet Bel Air, three on the tree transmission with an AM radio that took a while to warm up. Uh, I have forgotten how used we have become to instant own everything over the last several decades. And to think of a car radio, you had to turn on and wait a while for it to warm up is really weird to most folks. So we were riding along, talking, sort of almost halfway listening to the radio. I think it was the news from Atlanta, WSB probably. And the announcer was telling about someone from Gainesville, Georgia, who had been arrested and charged with theft by taking. And we just started to laugh, and we laughed most of the day and told that over and over again, theft by taking. And we kept asking ourselves, is there any other way to steal than by taking something that doesn't belong to you? And I've thought about that incident a lot. And Long ago, I came to the realization that, yes, of course, there are many, many ways to steal. Taking something, money, or something that doesn't belong to us and walking away with it, well, that's one way of stealing, of course. And most would agree that that's very wrong. Yet it's only one among many. And according to this Eighth Commandment, or at least my understanding of the letter and spirit of the Eighth Commandment, 
taking something that doesn't belong to us is wrong. You shall not steal. How much clearer could it be? What are some of the many ways to steal if we're so minded to do such a thing other than just taking something, picking up something and, and walking off with it? Are there other ways? I think so. We'll talk about a few of those. And one of them is, of course, theft by deception. Theft by deception. I want to tell a story, and before I tell this story, and I'm not sure who first told it, Louis Grizzard or Jerry Clower or one of the great storytellers, there were no animals harmed in the telling of this story. So just, uh, just hold that thought. I am a huge critter lover, especially dogs, so no animals were harmed in the telling of this story, but that's sort of part of it. There was a young man, he was a freshman at the University of Georgia in Athens. It was his first time away from home and he had very rapidly adopted a rather extravagant lifestyle. He came from a small town, very expensive lifestyle. And soon his living expenses that he had gotten from his father ran out for the semester. And he had to find a way to persuade his daddy to send him some more money. So he sat down at his desk and he wrote his daddy a letter. Dear Dad, having been raised by you and Mom in a small town, I'm just overwhelmed by everything that they've got going on at this large university. Would you believe they even have a school of veterinary medicine? And one of the professors at that school has started a program whereby he can teach a dog to talk. Daddy, if you'll send our old hound dog Blue up here, Along with the $1,000, I will enroll him in that course and he can learn to talk. Sincerely, your son. Imagine that, thought this boy's father to himself. Old Blue talking, that would really impress him down at the post office and down at the barbershop, down at the cafe, wouldn't it? So he sent Old Blue, imagine, managed to have Old Blue shipped to Athens, sent a check for $1,000. And uh, when you know it, it didn't take long before the boy had blown through that $1,000 and he needed some more money. So he had, to, he had to come up with something. Well, he decided to write his dad another letter. And he said, oh, Dad, you, you wouldn't believe it. You'd be so proud of old Blue. He's talking up a blue streak and he's even joined the glee club. And he's got a fine baritone voice. Guess what, Daddy? Guess what? That same professor that taught old Blue how to talk has offered to teach him to read. But that's going to cost $5,000. Love your son. Sure enough, there was a check in the mail in a couple of days. Thanksgiving holidays were coming, and uh, he would expect it to be, be coming home with old Blue. And they would expect Old Blue to be able to read and, and talk and, and sing. And so there was nothing to do but shoot Old Blue. Now the day came for this college student to return home and the whole town had gathered down at the, the train depot. There were banners and signs everywhere proclaiming, Welcome home, Old Blue. And there was even a banner up over the stage area. Welcome home, Blue. And a public address system had been set up for Old Blue to address the crowd when he got there. And when the train arrived on time, everyone piled off, including the college student. But there was no Old Blue. 
His daddy took him aside and said, son, it's good to see you, but where's Blue? Daddy, you're not going to believe this, but this morning I was shaving, and old Blue was sitting on the side of the bathtub reading the Wall Street Journal, and he looked at me and he asked, is your daddy still carrying on with that waitress down at the cafe? He said, son, I hope you shot that dog. <laughs> Theft by deception. Uh, that's a funny, never happened kind of story, but it's a common practice, isn't it? And we all listen sometimes. I assume most people in this part of the world have heard of Clark Howard and have listened to him on the radio and watched him on the television. And back when he was doing the call-in thing, it just amazed me how many folks called in with all these scams and all these rackets they've been caught up in. People stealing from them by deceiving them and making them think money was going for one thing and it was not going there at all. People's bank accounts being cleared out and the scams continue and the internet has really just sort of ramped that up. And all these phone calls that we get, these robocalls, where if you're not careful, folks will be in your business and, and into your money. And theft by deception, it's, it's still out there. And a couple of weeks ago, I, I told about, uh, in one of the other commandments when we were talking about it, about the man who several years ago had gone around telling mothers who had lost sons in Vietnam, we have his footlocker, and it has his personal possessions in it, and for X number of dollars, we can have it shipped to your house. And how he deceived so many of these vulnerable folks like that. Theft by deception. Another way of stealing, and this is one I grew up hearing, and maybe you did too, is part of our, our values, part of the value system of so many folks, middle class folk especially, it seems, about not giving an honest day's work for an honest day's pay. And that's stealing in a sense, isn't it? In fact, the Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 28, thieves must give up stealing, rather let them labor honestly and work honestly with their own hands so as to have something to share with the needy. Now, maybe that's another sermon for another day. We work not just to provide for ourselves and those we love, but to take care of the needy all around us. We say things, or we, or maybe you've heard folks say things like, well, they, the folks who run this company, they just got so much money, and they expect us to, to work for little or nothing, and we're going to slack off every chance we get, and we're just not going to give it our best because they don't really care about us. And we find ways to violate the Eighth Commandment, and sometimes we're not even aware of that. Another way of stealing, according to the Old Testament prophet Amos, and that's why we read that passage, why Andrew read that passage from Amos a while ago. It was not just to have something more than one verse to read on Sunday morning. It really is talking about taking advantage of the poor. And in ancient Israel, landowners were expected to leave some of the harvest around the edges of the field, not glean all of it, not harvest all of it, so that folk who were poor and struggling, who had difficulties in their life, 
could come in and take from the gleanings from the edge of the field and have something for themselves, something for their families. Merchants were to use honest measurements. They were not to, as Archie Bunker said one time, not to put their thumb on the scale. In other words, those who had much were not to steal from those who had little. Terence Fratham, in his commentary on Exodus, writes about this way of stealing. Let me share just one of his thoughts with you. He said, these considerations raise profound issues regarding the affluence of modern society, the attachment we have to things, the extravagance in lifestyles, the mountains of waste generated, all in the face of incredibly widespread hunger and want, raise the question of theft to new levels. The prophets rail against Israel at this point. It wasn't just Amos. You could read it over and over again in the Old Testament. At whose expense is this wealth gained? Do not inadequate wages or benefits often constitute theft? But at such a distance that we will seldom know the victims' names or seldom have to look into their faces. Are there other ways of stealing remaining? Yeah, there, there are many. Let me identify just a few of those. Know that this is an incomplete list, and you've probably already thought of some others. A, there's tax fraud, and that sound we hear every year on April the 15th or thereabout is the Eighth Commandment being violated from coast to coast. There's arson and other forms of property destruction so that we seek to defraud the insurance company, that happens. Embezzlement, and those who are really good with technology and understand hacking and that, that kind of thing, it becomes easier. There's debt accumulation without the thought of ever paying it back. By withholding from others what we have to offer to them in their time of need, isn't that, according to the prophets, another way of stealing? I'm thinking about the story, the Good Samaritan story, the road from Jerusalem down to Jericho and the priest and the Levite passing by on the other side. Not because they didn't have anything to offer, not because they didn't have resources or didn't care for people, but they were so caught up in their busyness. And I know that's a hard question. It's one I have a hard time facing does it constitute thievery or stealing when we turn our back on folks who are hurting and we have the means to help? You shall not steal. Ancient Israel understood this, understood property to be an extension of the self so that our property represented us and the theft of property was a violation of a person's of a person's character, of their, of their wealth, but more than that. And some folks, it's never happened to me, I'm grateful to God, but some folks whose homes have been broken into say they feel like they have been violated. And even so, there are more important things than money and resources that have been stolen. And some of the folks who steal these things are able to break the spirit of others and break the Eighth Commandment. It is possible, isn't it, to humiliate or embarrass someone, 
to the extent that we steal their dignity. It is possible, isn't it, to rip off someone's faith? To treat them in such a way, to put them down in such a way that, that we gradually erode their faith. Mark Twain married Olivia Langdon and was, she was a very devout Christian. And he was so unsympathetic to her faith and the practice of her faith that she eventually just gave it up and, and walked away from it. And later there came into her life a deep crisis, a time of deep sorrow. And he urged her. He said, Livy, lean on your faith. And sadly she told him, I can't. I haven't any left. And it said that to his dying day he was haunted by the fact that the one thing she needed and loved the most he had taken away from her. And isn't it also possible to rob someone of their good name? The following quotations attributed to Shakespeare. He that filches from me my good name robs me of that which not enriches him and makes me poor indeed. When we steal someone's good name, it doesn't do anything for us but causes great harm for them so often. Three questions that I heard years ago, I try to remember, I'm not always successful. Three questions bear repeating before we think about robbing someone of their good name. Number one, we need to ask, is it true? Number two, we need to ask, is it necessary for me to tell this? And number three, we need to ask, is it kind? I'll mention one other important thing that we can steal from another, and that would be their hopes and their dreams. A little girl said to her aunt, she was staying with her aunt for a few days. She said, Auntie, when I grow up, I want to be a medical doctor. I want to be a doctor. And her aunt stole the little girl's hopes and dreams. She said, doctrine is only for men folk. Now go back in there and play with your dolls. We can steal hopes and dreams if we're not careful. So where's Jesus on all of this? I always want to ask that and think about that. Jesus seems to be very much in line with Moses and the prophets on this issue. No surprise there. Jesus said he came to fulfill the law, not to destroy it. Theft of property in Israel was considered a tort. That is, the injured party is restored so far as possible to the pre-theft position. And as an apparent deterrent, overcompensation was called for in certain cases. Exodus 22.1, when someone steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it, then that thief shall repay five oxen for an ox, four sheep for a sheep. The thief shall make restitution. Jesus appears to endorse this particular aspect of the law about stealing. And he did so, remember this story, an encounter he had in Jericho with a thief. And the thief was the chief tax collector in that area. A man named Zacchaeus, and if you don't remember the story, ask some of our children, Sunday school teacher, ask your children or your grandchildren the Zacchaeus story. Zacchaeus was a vertically challenged fellow. He was never an NBA prospect. 
he had climbed a sycamore tree to get a better look at Jesus. Jesus spotted Zacchaeus, called him down from the tree, and invited himself home with the tax collector. And the local folks didn't have much good to say about that. Said something about us being known by the company we keep. And I wonder if that barb was aimed at Zacchaeus or was it aimed at Jesus? Zacchaeus said, look, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Jesus said to Zacchaeus, today salvation has come to this house. He didn't ask Zacchaeus to repeat a formula or to say anything particular, to follow certain steps to receive salvation. But when Zacchaeus acted in this gracious way, when he repented this way, Salvation came to his house. Forgiveness in the case of stealing involves restitution, giving back what was taken or at least making it right, so to speak. In matters of money and property, restoration is pretty easy to calculate, isn't it? Not too difficult. In regard to the theft of someone else's dignity or their good name, or their faith, or their hopes and their dreams, restitution is a little more difficult to calculate. Is it worth the time and effort to try to do so? Go figure. Amen.